The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Uh, you could take your Bibles if you wouldn't turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're basically going to start there this morning, Ephesians chapter 4. So we're continuing our study on the church, and uh, we're now, uh, so far we, we've defined the church. We said that the church was the object of God's affection, it was the beneficiary of God's grace, and it was the oracle of God's word. Then we looked at the organization of the church, and we, we stated that the church must be organized in its authorities, that it must be organized in its priorities, and that it must be organized in its purpose. And these are very confused areas for many churches today. But then we, then we looked at, and we outlined the mission of the church. And um, basically in scripture there's a threefold mission of the church. First is to educate its saints. Secondly is to equip its servants. And thirdly it was to execute its service. Now this morning... I would like to consider, begin to consider the message of the church. The message of the church. Now, to be effective, one's message must be, first of all, clear. I don't think I put these bullet points on your study sheets, but you might want to just jot them down. A church's message, first of all, must be clear. Look at Ephesians chapter 4 with me. And let's begin in verse 1. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now look at verse 4. There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Let's pray before we go any farther. Father, thank you for your word. And I pray today that you would illuminate us to, the, to your word and that you would uh, strengthen us. And Father, that you would instruct us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What was the common factor... In verses 4 through 6. Anyone tell me? What word was the most common word? One. One. And a church's message must be clear. Um, Not only that, but a church's message must be concise. In John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus states, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Must be a very concise message, very exact. It, it, it must not offer variance. I've heard people so often say, there are many ways to God. No, there isn't. There's only one way to God, and one way only. So our message must be concise, it, it must be consistent. Uh, In Hebrews chapter 13, the author of Hebrews writes, Jesus Christ, 
the same yesterday and today and forever. Be not carried about with divers and strange doctrines. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats, which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Our message must be consistent. So often you, you find that church's message evolves, for lack of a better term. <laughs> it changes to accommodate the circumstances of the day. But you know what, my dear friends? I don't care what's politically correct today. I care what's scripturally correct today. And if my message, if my teaching and my preaching creates an atmosphere of political incorrectness, so be it. But we will preach and teach the word of God without changing. We must have a consistent message. And, and next, our message, the message of the church must be complete. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul writes, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Gospel. I've got to turn my page here, bear with me. According to the Scriptures, and that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve, after that, he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen of me also, as of one born out of due time. The message of the church must be complete. We preach Jesus Christ, born of a virgin. We preach his sinless and perfect life. We preach his sacrificial death on the cross. We preach his burial. And we preach his glorious resurrection. And we preach his ascension into heaven. And we preach his return. Our message must be complete. Yet today, the message coming forth from the majority of so-called churches meets none of these criteria. Their message is very muddied. You sit in their services and listen to their preaching and you come away and, and you, you heard no clear message. You heard a bunch of cute cliches and, and things such as that, but you heard no true clear message. You heard no call unto Christ. Their message is vague. You don't know, who were they preaching about? Were they preaching about Jesus? Were they preaching about Allah? Were they preaching, who were they preaching about? It's very vague. It's not, it's not concise. Their message is circumstantial. Today, they're okay with homosexuality. It's okay. They're okay with women preachers. It's okay. We, we, can, we can tolerate that, right? No, we can't. We can't. It's a consistent message. It, it doesn't change. It's, it's the same message being preached from Berean Baptist Church's pulpits today that was preached two, three hundred years ago. It's the same message. It's consistent. It does not 
change. Their message is in progress. It's in progress. They haven't completed it yet. They, they keep, it, keeps, it keeps morphing. It keeps evolving. And, and, and they, they have no finality to their beliefs. It's an open door. And all of this has led to a false gospel. It's led to one that leads men away from Christ rather than leading men to Christ. In Galatians chapter 1, we, we read, Paul writes, But though we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that we have received, let him be accursed. But, of course, the type of teaching that I'm doing this morning by the world would be defined as hate speech. That's what they would call this. They would call it hate speech. Well, if, if, if my hate is aimed at, and, I, and by the way, I hate nothing because we're commanded by God not to hate anything. I despise some things and I dislike some things, but I don't hate anything. But if my speech is directed against the world's principles, which violate God's principles, then so be it. Let it be called hate speech, if that's what you want to call it. I call it love speech, because I love them enough to tell them the truth. But I live by the word of God. James chapter 4 and verse 4, James writes, Ye adulterers and adulteresses. Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. My friends, let me, let me tell you something. If the Lord tarries before too many more generations pass, we will truly be the enemies of this world. They will come into services like this. They'll arrest pastors from their pulpit. They'll threaten the membership to disband or, be, or, or face legal consequences. The day is coming. Not might, not maybe, is. I was talking with Gary and pastor this morning. Um, and I was mentioning to him this week that I, I had thought about this. That. We have a generation that do not value freedom. They don't value the freedoms that we have. And they don't value them because they were given to them. It hasn't cost them anything. Thomas Jefferson said the blood or said the tree of, of liberty must be refreshed from time to time with the blood of patriots and tyrants. Nobody wants war, but let me tell you something. War becomes necessary at times. And without war, you can't have peace. People who think they're living in peace just need to take a look on the streets. And they'll find out there is no, there is no liberty, there is no freedom, and there is no peace. Oh no, the day will come when churches like this will be considered enemy. And the state will come after us. 
and they will, they will close our doors. Now, it's not going to be next week, I hope. <laughs> It'll probably be two or three generations down the road, but the day is coming. The day is coming. But you see, I choose to be a friend of God. I can't answer for you. But I choose to be a friend of God. I do not care what the world thinks of my teaching. I do not care what the world thinks of my doctrine. So with this in mind, I would like to consider the message of the church, the message that we must proclaim. And I'm going to take it and approach it from a threefold uh, aspect. Now, we're not going to get through all three today. We'll be lucky to get through two, but we'll get started. So first, I want to say this. We must proclaim salvation to a lost world. The church's message must proclaim salvation to a lost world. Not political agendas. Uh, we have members in this church. They're not here right now, but we have members in this church. He, he, he confided with me once. He told me, he said, our pastor uh, on one Sunday said, next Sunday morning, bring the local paper. Don't bring your Bibles because we're not going to use it. Bring your newspaper. Is that supposed to be the message of the church? The political uh, agenda? No, it's not. It's the word of God. It's, it's the truth. It's salvation is the message of the church. First Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. We are to preach. Our message is to, to proclaim salvation to a lost world. As we studied in an earlier lesson, the church is given the responsibility to propagate the gospel. This can be done in a variety of ways. There are many ways in which the gospel can be preached, but, but that's not the emphasis of what we're talking about this morning. The emphasis is the fact that the preaching of the gospel is the primary message of the church. Each of us here today heard the gospel. Every one of us sitting here, we heard the gospel. We heard this gospel either in a church service or by direct contact with another believer. But the fact is, we all heard the gospel. Romans chapter 10 and verse 14, Paul writes, How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Now, you can't argue with Paul's logic there. You can't argue with him. You can't, you can't call on someone you've never heard of. And you can't hear unless somebody tells you. And no one will tell you if no one goes. In verse 17 of the same chapter, he states, So then faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. Every man, every woman, every child that has ever been born again heard the gospel. This message of salvation must be proclaimed. The church must make its voice heard in the community. And this will be done by those who are a part of the body of the local church. 
It's going to be, if it's not done by you and me, then who's going to do it? The Jehovah Witnesses won't proclaim the true gospel. The Mormons aren't, as they pedal their bikes around, they're not going to proclaim the true gospel. The Roman Catholic Church isn't going to proclaim the true gospel. The Moonies aren't going to do it. The Jehovah Witnesses aren't going to do it. I might have mentioned them already. I don't know. So who's going to do it? Well, we, we have to do it. The children of God, the elect saints of God. It's our job to do it. We must emphasize Christ and him crucified. In John chapter 12 and verse 32, Jesus said, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Now this is not, this is not to be understood of every individual of human nature. Not every man will be drawn to Christ. Um, not all are not drawn or enabled to come to him and believe in him. Not all men are given, are given the enlightenment to believe in Christ. Uh, for instance, consider, uh, it's not so much done today because there's so much greater communication now. But for instance, during the, um, during the American uh, Revolution, during the American-British War, when soldiers, even in the, even in the uh, Civil War, when, when soldiers went to battle, they always carried what? Anybody know? Well, they always carried a rifle. Yeah, you wouldn't want to go into war, you wouldn't want to go into battle with a stick. But they always carried a banner. They always carried an ensign, it was called, uh, a standard. And what was that standard for? Well, that standard was to, was to identify your allies, your, your army. So this, this, and, and when, when the battle was raging and soldiers were scattered and the, the commanding officer would say, sound retreat, uh, and men would hear retreat, where, where are we going to retreat to? Where, which direction are we going to go? So they would scan the battlefield and they'd see the standard. They'd see the flag. And they would rally to the flag. They would go to the flag. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw men unto me. And that's what he's talking about. Today, Christ, we lift Christ in our preaching and men are drawn to him. Just like those soldiers in a battle. They knew where to go. They knew where to go to, to be with their, with, their, with their allies. This is very important. So Christ died indeed for all men who are drawn unto him. He was crucified for them. And his death was to facilitate the gathering of them. And this was going to be accomplished through the ministry of the apostles and even still today through the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We preach Christ. We, we lift him before men. We preach Christ crucified and risen again to, to, their, to their justification and, and, and men whom God has chosen, those whom God has chosen, the elect saints hear this call. They hear the, re, the retreat, if you will, and they begin to look for, for that banner, for that, that, that flag, that ensign in which they must go to. This is not true of all men. There were many of the, of the Jews who would not and did not come to him for life. He, 
He, he was crucified right before their eyes. They didn't come to him, believe on him. Instead of being drawn to him in this sense, when lifted up on the cross, they vilified him and they reproached him. In Matthew chapter 27, we read, and they, and they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the son of God. Come down from the cross. The Pharisees stated. Others, others he saved himself. He cannot save. They're, but they were wrong. He could have saved himself. Christ could have called upon the father. And the father would have sent. A, Twelve legions of angels to his side. They, they, would have, they would have slaughtered everyone on that hill. They would have taken him off that cross. They would have cared for him and loved him, and they would have carried him to the Father's embrace. It isn't that he could not save himself. It's that he chose not to save himself. He chose to save you. He chose to save me. Yet there are many who will not believe and be saved. But that is not in our hands, is it? But we do know something. We know that some will believe. And we know that some will be drawn to that gospel message. And this gives us hope. And this gives us confidence in our message of the gospel. For we know that if we preach Christ within our community, we will reap a certain harvest. We know that if we, if our church, a Berean Baptist church, proclaims the gospel message throughout our area, we know, we have confidence, we are sure that God will gather together those who believe in him. That there will be a harvest. Psalm 126 verses 5 and 6 we read. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing. Did you see that? Doubtless come again with rejoicing bringing his sheaves with him. I've been teaching and, and preaching for 37 years. And in that time, I, I could not even begin to tell you how many people I have seen come to, the, to Christ. Some, some just almost seemingly just came in off the street and heard the gospel message and, and was saved. But they, weren't just, they didn't just come off the street. God, God drew them here. God called them there. I, I can recall one, one time... I was a bus captain back in Louisiana, and I was visiting a family, and one of her relatives was there, one of her cousins. And uh, I, was, I was in the house, and I was trying to witness to him. She wanted me to witness to him. I was trying to witness to him, and he was mocking me, and he was laughing, and, and he, was, he was really giving me a hard time. He, he had been drinking, and so I, 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 I just decided, well, uh, you know that this is not happening here, so I'm gonna, I'm just gonna politely thank everyone and leave. And I did. It was years later, years later, one Sunday morning, 
I'm standing up there leading the singing, and who do you think is sitting in the back row next to her? The same cousin. Very same cousin. And I was leading the singing, and then the pastor got up and preached. And when the invitation began, who do you think came walking down that aisle? That very same cousin. I didn't want to have nothing to do with that. He'd given me such a hard time the last time. I didn't, want, I, I didn't want to have anything to do with that. So I turned around to start to leave, and that pastor called me out by name. Dalton, come here. I said, no, no. Anyone but him. Come here. Go over there and talk to that guy. And I went back, and, and I witnessed to him again on the front row. I, I, I shared with him the gospel. And he received Christ and was gloriously saved. And after church, he came up to me and shook my hand. He said, I'm so sorry for the, for the way I treated you a few years ago. You just, we just don't know. But we don't know when. But we do know this. We do know that there will be a harvest. People will come to Christ if we are faithful to preach the gospel. If we don't preach, they won't come. But if we're faithful to preach... They will come. It's like, it's like the, the movie. Build it and they will come. Preach it and they will come. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. So the church must preach salvation to a lost world. But then secondly this morning, concerning the message of the church, we must preach separation from a corrupt world. I'd like for you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians Chapter 6. Second Corinthians chapter 6. We'll begin reading at verse number 14. We read here, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness, and what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. And, uh, and will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Now, <clears throat> separate, the definition of separation is to disunite, to divide, to sever, to part in almost any manner, either things naturally or casually joined. Now, our message to the world is that of salvation. The message we proclaim outside the walls of this church should be salvation. But our message to the church itself, our message within these walls, should be that of separation. It says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. But that begs a great question. Does that mean we can never, ever, ever have any association of any kind with anyone other than the children of God? Well, 
That's what many profess. Many profess that we're to avoid all interactions with the unregenerate man. But this would be inconsistent with Paul's own teachings. And it would be inconsistent with the testimony of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself knew that we would not be able to avoid such interactions. Let's turn quickly to John chapter 17. We're not going to finish this anyway, so we may as well be thorough. Let's go to John chapter 17. And I don't have time to read all 17 verses. Um, I'm trying to figure out where I want to read. Okay, let's, let's go to verse number, um, verse number 8. Jesus is praying to the Father here. He says, For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and that they believed that thou didst send me. Now look at verse 9. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in thee. Um, And let's go down to save time. Let's go down to verse number um, 14. I have given them thy word, and the word hath... I'm giving them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Verse 15. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. Did you see that? Jesus didn't pray that God would separate us from the world, but from the evil of the world. Um. In verse 15, he did not pray that for us to be taken out of the world, for we must need be in the world. We have to be in the world to preach the gospel. We have to be in the world to live, to live a testimony that glorifies the name of the Father, to serve the Father in his will and purpose. The main emphasis of Paul's instruction here, as expounded upon in verse 16, is to avoid the entanglements of false religion. Notice the subject that he refers to in our passages that we read. Uh, righteous, what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, light with darkness, Christ with Belial, believers with infidels. These are all spiritual in nature. Therefore, it is apparent that Paul is admonishing us to be separate in our worship and our understanding of God and his principles. We're admonished to be separate, to be distinguishable, from the world, First Peter 2, 9. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Well, logically, what sense would it, be to, 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 would it make to be distinguishable if there is no one to be distinguishable from? If the, if the emphasis of the word was that we totally separate from all the world and we, we only fellowship amongst ourselves, then who are we going to be distinguishable from? Each other? Are we going to begin to judge each other 
to see who's the holiest, who's the, who's the most pure in heart and mind? Well, that would be the, that would be the result of that. And, and that is not what Paul is arguing for. Rather, I think that Paul's argument is dissuasive from having associations with the criminal and our sinful actions of men and is consistent with his teachings throughout the New Testament. Now, please understand, and I've got to, I've got to stop. I do not say that we should not be selective in the acquaintances we keep. We have to be very selective. However, we must be careful that we do not develop a holier-than-thou attitude. And this attitude will cause us to become proud and arrogant, even despising those that we deem beneath our level of spirituality. Well, folks, that's all I have time for today. We'll have to finish off point two and get into point three next time. Uh, The message of the church, uh, it it needs to be clear and it needs to be concise. It needs to be uh, consistent and it needs to be complete. And, and that's, that needs to be our emphasis as we, as we as a body of Christ walk out of these doors and, 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 and preach to this community. So let's remember that as we, as we conduct ourselves throughout our daily lives uh, and keep Christ, lift him up, lift Christ and he will draw those to him that he has called. All right, folks, that's all the time we have for this morning. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Rohnert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.